Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, if you would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them in the New Testament to the book of Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament in chapter number 6. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you can take that Bible and in the back part turn to page 4, and you would be at Matthew chapter 6. Now, I want to begin today by asking you a question. Here's the question. Where will your money spend eternity? Where will your money spend eternity? And you may be thinking, that's a little bit of an odd question. Uh, It's a little bit of a surprising question, but I think it's a valid question for a follower of Jesus Christ. And as we enter into a new year, it's a great opportunity that we have to gain some perspective about money. You know, money is on all of our minds, and much of our time is spent earning and spending money. And we are in constant need of biblical perspective about money. And there's several reasons why that is. You know, money is a common reason for marital conflict. Money is a top rival for our heart affections. You know, the Lord Jesus said this in Luke 16, 13. He said, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's a top rival for our heart affections. We also need a constant reminder because while money is not inherently evil, it can be spiritually dangerous to us. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says this, People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So it is a good thing that we would take some time to get perspective on our money. Today we're starting a two-part series. It's a series that I'm going to do the first part of, and Mark Robinson's going to do the second part of next week because I'll be out of town. And it's a series that we have entitled Pay It Forward. And that is somewhat a play on a movie that came out in the year 2000 by the same name, Pay It Forward. And in that movie, there is a social studies teacher who wants his students to get creative when it comes to changing the world. And young Trevor comes up with this idea. He would do a significant good deed to three people, and then he would tell each of them that they, in turn, would do a significant good deed to three other people, and the idea was so forth and so forth. And there's this mysterious trail of deeds that has a manifold effect. And at the end of the movie, hundreds of people are gathered there, who have been positively affected by what this young boy started. And so we want to call it Pay It Forward. But we also have a subtitle to our series, which is a twist on a quote from Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so we put a a subtitle that says, The joy in giving what we cannot keep 
to gain what we cannot lose. Cannot take our money with us, but we can send our money on ahead. Now, the plan I have for today has to do with two different things. Number one, we're going to look at two passages, and then we're going to be looking at two principles as we look at those two passages. And I'm going to give those principles and passages to you right now. Principle number one is that our earthly resources are temporary, and we're going to see that from Matthew 6, verses 19 and 20. Then the second principle we're going to look at is the principle of the impact of eternal investment is mysterious and yet manifold. The impact of eternal investment is mysterious and yet manifold, and we're going to look at that in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 9. So that's our plan. That's where we're going. Let's begin by looking at that very first principle. Our earthly resources are temporary. If you have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 6, I want us to look at verses 19 and 20. Now remember, it's the Lord Jesus who is speaking here. And the Lord Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Now, if you look back at verse 19, we could legitimately, the way this is written in the original language, we could translate it, stop storing up for yourselves treasures on earth. And then we could translate verse 20, but keep on storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, do you notice that Jesus is very bullish on investing? He's bullish on investing, though, in heavenly treasure. The idea is not that earthly treasures are inherently evil or bad. That's not the idea. The idea is that earthly treasures are temporary, and they won't last. You see, when it comes to our money and all of the resources that we have, it's not a matter of maybe. I mean, it's true that the resources that you and I have, they, they could be stolen, they, they might decay, uh, the stock market might crash. But the truth is that we are either going to leave them, they will either leave while we are alive, or we will leave them when we die. That's just the bottom line of it all. And of course, we, we need money to meet our needs, and Jesus isn't arguing against that. In fact, if you read through this whole chapter, he's basically saying, I will provide your needs. What he's trying to say to his followers is this, value what's truly valuable. Invest in what is truly long-term. Invest in the kingdom of God number of years ago, I came upon this saying that was written on a gravestone, you know, someone who had died and I think had gone on to heaven. This is what the gravestone said. What I spent, I had. What I saved, I lost. What I gave, I have. What an interesting perspective. And the point is this. We do our giving while we are living. 
We do our giving while we are living. And the cool thing about the bank of heaven is that the bank of heaven is rust-proof. It is burglar-proof. It is failure-proof. It is disaster-proof. It is death-proof. We do our giving while we are living. I want to share with you an illustration that I've heard over the years. I've heard it for decades, but it's one that uh, Randy Alcorn really developed well. It takes us back to the Civil War era in America. And, you know, in the Civil War, you had the North and you had the South, and the South was made up of the Confederacy. And the North had their own money, and the South had, of course, their Confederate money. Now, here's, here's the illustration and the analogy. Imagine, if you would, that you are from Pennsylvania, which, of course, was in the North. That was your true home. But as the, the Civil War broke out, you were down working in Alabama, which is in the South or in the Confederacy. So during the war, you are in the Confederate South. And you are given some insider information that the North is going to win the war. And you know that your long-range plan is you're going to head home after the war. Now, while you're working in Alabama you are going to be paid in Confederate money, which you now know because of your insider information is doomed to be worthless eventually. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, if you're wise, you keep enough Confederate currency to adequately meet your short-term needs. But if you're wise... You exchange as much Confederate money for U.S. currency as would be possible. Now, here's where the analogy applies back to us. As followers of Jesus, we have insider information. We have insider knowledge. We know that the currency and the assets of this world is doomed to be worthless eventually. And so we have an opportunity to transfer as much of our earthly funds as possible to our heavenly account. And and here's the point we need to remember. God has given us a financial forecast. You know, we see these all the time. They so frustrate me just, you know, and we're trying to figure out what to do with any money that you may have. And they say, you should do this. And every time I, I, have a, I have some flexibility to take some of my retirement money and move it over here, every time I move over here, I think, oh, I should have left it over there, back and forth. But God has given us a financial forecast about the earth's assets, and that is, in market terms, they're beyond a bearish view. Those things are doomed, God says. But God is wildly bullish on investing in heavenly treasure. He's wildly bullish on giving to his kingdom. Now, here's what I want you to see from Matthew 6. Do you see how logical Jesus is being here? You know, this is not an emotional appeal that he's making to try to tweak our emotions. He is being very, very logical. He is saying we need to aim for lasting value. 
We need to store our resources in the right place. And to focus simply on piling up earthly treasure our whole life, Jesus would say, is really foolish. Now, let's look at it a little bit different way. You guys, I mean, it's a new year. You should be recovered from the holidays, so we can do a little imagining, all right? So imagine that you're a citizen of the United States, and you're told that something's going to happen in 10 years. And in 10 years, Iran will have developed a full nuclear weapon that they can get to the United States. You're told this is going to happen in 10 years. And they are going to explode that nuclear weapon over the atmosphere of the United States of America. It will be an EMP, an electromagnetic pulse weapon. And what it's going to do when it explodes, it's going to knock out absolutely anything that has a computer chip with it. We're being told this is going to happen in 10 years. And when that happens, it's going to invalidate all of our current wealth and our forms of wealth. It's going to invalidate our currency. We won't even be able to print anything more because everything's computer-driven. It's going to invalidate all stocks, all accounts, all bank accounts. All that data is going to be lost. It's all going to happen in 10 years, we're told. Still using your imagination. And what we're going to be told is this, that the new currency in 10 years is going to be paper clips. Paper clips will be the new currency. And our leaders are telling us this story. And they're telling us these details. And they're saying to us as our leaders, your money is going to be worthless. Seek paper clips. Lay up paper clips in anticipation of that day. You must lay up paper clips. Now, if that were to happen, would everybody respond to it? Of course not. We know how people are. I mean, we know that some people would just ignore that. And they would just say, I want to get more money. I'm going to hoard money. I'm going to maybe buy more stocks, whatever it may be. But just imagine that the people who are ignoring it are your friends or maybe your neighbors or even your family. What would you say to them? You would say to them, what are you doing? Why are you accumulating and piling up something that's going to be valueless in 10 years? Why are you doing that? You might say, sure, we understand. We, we need to adequately meet our needs during this decade. But we would be appealing to them, set aside significant money and buy paper clips for crying out loud, right? Well, that's very much like what Jesus is talking about and what the Bible teaches us. You see, one day, the money that we have is going to be broken. You'll notice on our graphic, we have a broken coin. Because that's where it's headed. One day, our investments, I don't care how impressive they may be or how unimpressive they may be, they're going to be 
worthless. Except, except for what we have invested in eternity. See, Jesus is saying piling up earthly treasure, piling it up is really foolish. Someone who is wise will keep on, keep on, keep on storing up treasure in heaven. Now, some of you may be sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, well, that sounds incredibly selfish. That sounds pretty self-centered and self-focused. But I want to remind you of the way that we store up treasure in heaven. We store up treasure in heaven by serving other people's needs. We store up treasure in heaven by investing in God's kingdom. And there's nothing selfish about either one of those things at all. Now, let's look at the second principle. The second principle. The first one is that our earthly resources are temporary. The second one is the impact of eternal investment is mysterious and yet manifold. Turn with me in the right, past the gospel of Mark to the gospel of Luke and chapter number 16. Luke 16. And this is one of my favorite parables. In fact, I got asked a lot about this parable when I traveled in Latvia first number of times. It's a puzzling parable, and the reason why is it has an unlikely hero in it. It's an individual who is called an unrighteous steward or a shrewd manager. And one of the reasons why Jesus tells the story this way is he just trying to grab people's attention and make them think a little bit. So in verse 1 of Luke 16, Jesus was teaching the disciples, and it says, there was a rich man who had a manager. Some of the translations would say he had a steward. A manager, a steward, was a custodian of another person's resources. And as believers in Jesus Christ, that's what we are. We are custodians. We are stewards. We are caretakers of another person's resources because the Bible tells us that all the wealth belongs to God ultimately. And I've shared this many, many times, but I've been doing this now for a number of years. But you've been very gracious to give me a paycheck every month. And I haven't missed a month in multiple years. Before I cash that check, I am on my knees before God. Because I recognize that this really belongs to Him. And every month I say, God, this is a gift from your hand. I thank you for it. And I pray that I might be a good caretaker of these resources that you have given to me. A little worship time I have every month. But that's because we are custodians of the resources that God has given. Well, notice this guy was a manager, a custodian. And the owner gets a report that this individual was squandering the owner's resources. He was utilizing the resources for his own desires, you see. 
And so the owner calls him in in verse 2, and he says, I want you to give an accounting of your management. And the, the truth is that we're all going to get that call from God. In Romans 14, 12, it says that each one of us is going to give an account of himself to God. Part of the accounting we give to God one day is as a manager and a caretaker of the owner's resources, right? So you see, some, there's some parallel here between my life and this individual's life. And then this guy has a response in verses 4 to 7. We're not going to take it apart in a lot of detail, but basically what he decides to do is to be extremely foresightful, extremely forward-looking. And what he does is he goes to the individuals who owned, owed the rich owner money. And he suggests that he would discount some of what they owed. One person, he discounts what they owed 50%. Another person, he discounts what they owed the owner 20%. And the idea is I'll give you the discount if you go ahead and pay the balance. Now, here's the idea. I want you to see this. You need to crawl into this for a moment. This is what the shrewd manager, the wise custodian, was doing. His focus was on what was going to benefit him in the future. He was focused on what was going to benefit him in the future. And we get the conclusion, really, of the the parable in verse 8. And it says there, and his master praised the unrighteous manager. And remember, Jesus is telling the story. And some people would look at it and they go, there must be some kind of a manuscript problem here. I mean, I don't understand. How could it say that? That Jesus, through the parable, says that the rich owner praised the unrighteous manager. Now, he praises him not because he was a little dishonest here, see, because the owner wasn't getting all that he was entitled to get. He praises him, listen carefully here, because he acted shrewdly. He praised him because he was astute. He was wise. He was prudent. He was foresightful. He was forward-looking. And as he knew he was likely to get in some trouble with the owner here, he was thinking about the future, and his future goal was to win some friends in the future. Notice the last part of verse 8. It says, For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. When he talks about the sons of this age, Jesus is talking about the pagan world. The sons of light would be a reference to those who are followers of Jesus, the believers. And he's saying that the pagan world is more insightful and foresightful about earthly riches than we tend to be. You see, they see an opportunity and they seize the opportunity. They're highly strategic. Of course, they're only focused on the now. He's saying basically the believing community is unstrategic, even though we have 
ultimate insider knowledge. We're just not as strategic as they tend to be. So look at verse 9. So here's the bottom line coming. He says, I say to you, as I've told this parable, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. Why does he call it the wealth of unrighteousness? He's talking about the wealth of this world. Well, it becomes described as the wealth of unrighteousness because it can be used in unrighteous ways. It can buy drugs. It can buy sex. Or we can use the wealth of this world to self-indulge ourselves. But he says... Make friends for yourselves by the means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, when's that going to be? Sometime in the future when everything goes worthless, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. In other words, the idea is this. As we invest in the kingdom of God, what happens? People will hear the gospel. People will be taught the Scripture, and they will grow spiritually. Marriages will be transformed. Families will be strengthened. Lives will be touched and changed. And when we do that, we will develop, this is amazing to me, friends that we've never met until we get to heaven. Can you imagine when you walk into heaven, there's this music and there's celebration going on. There's a big banner there with your name. Welcome home, you know, Bruce. And there's a whole group of radiant faces there. They are your and my eternal friends. And one might step forward and say, listen, you gave money to a missionary one day, and that missionary led me to Christ, and that's why I'm here. Or maybe someone else would say, I came to Wildwood when you opened that new children's facility. I thought it was a cool place, and you shared the gospel with me, and I trusted Christ in my heart. And my family moved away, and you never saw me again. But it's because of that that I'm here. Or maybe they would say, you supported a Christian organization, or you supported the radio ministry in Latvia, and uh, that made a difference to me. I, I was at home, I couldn't listen to anything else, but the radio came in and it changed my life. You know, a number of years ago, there was a song that said this, this is part of the lyric, thank you for giving to the Lord, I was a life that was changed. Men and women, eternal investment has an impact that is mysterious and yet manifold. It's interesting in that movie, Pay It Forward, no one really understands anything until a reporter starts to trace backwards all of these deeds. Many of you know my story that in 1962, I was led to Christ by Willard and Margaret Grant. Remember, Willard Grant when I was 11 years old. But that story can be traced back to 1937 when two businessmen paid the expenses for a 25-year-old evangelist by the name of J. Edwin Orr to actually go to China to preach the gospel, 1937. He came back, said, I had one convert. Now, just try to put yourself in that environment with those two businessmen. Now, he paid all this money. It was really expensive to go to China back then. I wonder how discouraged they were about where their money went, what a failure that whole thing was. But the one convert was 13-year-old Willard Grant. And Willard Grant grew up to spend 40 years, five days a week, 
putting on more than 4 million miles presenting the gospel to tens and tens of thousands of kids in gospel clubs. And one of those kids was Bruce S., who, by the grace of God, grew up to be a pastor for more than a third of a century, who, by the grace of God, had the opportunity to be a family life marriage conference speaker for 16 years, leading couples to Christ and transforming marriages, who, by the grace of God, got involved in having a radio ministry in Latvia that has 27,000 listeners for the past 15 years. You see, that's just one tiny thread in the story. I was just thinking this week about those two businessmen who invested in the expenses of that mission trip for J. Edwin Orr. And I think if they had any idea of the mysterious manifold impact of their investment, they would have stumbled over themselves to invest more money. I don't know what they ever did. Maybe they never gave any more after that lousy return on investment. See, the impact of eternal investment is mysterious and manifold. And here's what I want you to understand. God wants you in on the blessing. You see, that's why Jesus appeals to us and says, keep on storing up treasure in heaven. There is a day coming when all of this is going to be revealed. It's no wonder Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Think about that. It's incredible to think about. In the Old Testament, a lot of the focus for big sections of Scripture is on building the temple, the physical temple. Today, the focus of the Bible is on building a living temple that we call the church. And we do that by evangelizing where the gospel message goes out. We, we do that by discipling where we teach the whole counsel of God. We do that, we build up the living temple by meeting the needs of people. You know, Jesus said, give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. The story is told of a man shipwrecked on a lonely, unknown island. And to his surprise, he found that he was not alone. There was a large tribe of people that shared the island, and to his pleasure, he discovered they treated him very well. In fact, they placed him on a throne and catered to his every desire. He was delighted by that, but perplexed. Why such royal treatment? As his ability to communicate increased, he discovered that there was a tribal custom, and it was to choose a king for one year. Then when his term was finished, he would be transported to a particular deserted island and abandoned. So delight was now replaced by distress. And then he hit on a shrewd plan. Over the next months, he sent members of the tribe to that deserted island to clear and till it. He then had them build a beautiful house, furnish it, and plant crops. He sent some chosen friends that he'd met to live there and wait for him. And then when his time of exile came, he was put in a place carefully prepared and full of friends delighted to receive him. Of course, as disciples, we're not headed to a desert island, but to the Father's home. And yet the preparations we make here will follow us there. And if we're shrewd, 
There will be eternal friends and eternal rewards to greet us. Fools serve money and leave it all behind. Shrewd believers serve God and invest in eternity. Where will your many spend eternity? Are you merely spending your resources or are you investing in eternity? Are you so focused on life now that we're neglecting the kingdom of God? What is 40, 50, 70 years of income compared to eternity? Here's the life response that we have for today. This is a a question I want you to prayerfully wrestle with. If you can just jot this down right now. I want you to prayerfully wrestle with this. Make this part of your quiet time this week. I'm not trying to drive anybody anywhere. I'm asking myself the same question. How am I utilizing earthly resources to win eternal friends? I want you to ask yourself that question even if you're young. How am I utilizing earthly resources to win eternal friends? You know, we're most like God when we're giving. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for some time just to be in the Word like this and to just to have our thinking turned upside down a little bit. And we believe that the Holy Spirit can speak to each one of us who know you. And we're asking you to do that very thing. Help us to wrestle with this question of how am I utilizing earthly resources to win eternal friends? Father, I would pray you would stamp eternity on our mind's eye and help us to remember we're most like God when we're giving. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.